Hi, I'm Natalie, and welcome to Infinitely Irrational, where we discuss the real, eccentric, and complex history of math. In each episode, I unearth the wild stories behind some famous or not-so-famous mathematicians. Listeners, there is only one question for this episode. Why is a raven like a writing desk? And I guess I should also ask, what does this have to do with math? Let's find out. We're going to finish up our trilogy on Charles Dodgson. Joanna is here with us again to chat about Charles Dodgson. So welcome back, Joanna. Hello again, and thank you for having me for this third episode of Lewis Carroll. So the Alice books have been interpreted in a number of ways. A whimsical child story, a guide for the Victorian childhood, and also sophisticated works on math, philosophy, and logic, which frankly is going to be the way I classify it from now on. But one thing that Lewis Carroll was adamant about is that they aren't religious. He originally illustrated the Alice texts, but the drawings that you'd recognize are actually from Tenniel. The first printing of Alice actually had these really just sus illustrations. And Tenniel was so upset by it that Lewis Carroll paid out of pocket for them to be printed again better, but he sold 2,000 copies to an American publisher instead. I looked at the original illustrations, and yeah, they've lacked any elegance, any playfulness that we see in the ones that were eventually published. And I think he took his own descriptions a bit too literally. The faces were very stern and very solemn. So you sent these pictures to me to look at, and I've been laughing at them since I first cast eyeballs upon them. So I'm going to describe a couple of these images, and I'm going to put them on on the web as well, because they must be shared with the world. So the first one is a very large child's head over some shoes and arms and like that's it there's no body there and I don't know what the child is holding in her hand is it her hair it's unclear but she's just looking directly at you and it's one of those things that no matter where you move the eyes follow you so it's super creepy right it's amazing if we could have a book of these illustrations it would be wonderful but then the very next one is this girl that again the eyes follow you everywhere you move Her hair is drawn. The best way I can describe it is that, do you know in that horror movie, The Ring, where the person just kept drawing the ring round and round with the pen? That's what her hair looks like. I mean, I don't know how else. It's amazing and terrible at the same time. What I should have said, actually, with the second one is that the actual photograph of Alice Liddell. Oh, no! She had very similar hair in that one, and I think that's what he was trying to do. The kid did not look like that in the photo at all. Just the hair bears some resemblance on the, you know, hairstyle. Oh, my God. Your animator for your books, her Instagram handle, I think you said, was at Asuka underscore anime underscore art, which I will link in our show notes. I think it would be amazing. I'm volunteering her now. She doesn't know. (laughs) If she were to reimagine these, because her work is just like amazing. And I would love to see what she would envision Alice as, especially given this for inspiration. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, she's managed to bring like very real math stories to life with a fiction like Wonderland situation. I think she would have done amazingly well. 
Listeners, you should definitely check her out. It's Asuka, A-S-U-K-A underscore anime underscore art on Instagram. But so back in Dodson's day, we've talked about how math was very valued. And actually, back in his day, they had these groups that would meet with their pipe, pot, and problem, and they would challenge each other to solve problems, which was interesting because Dodgson had a habit of not reading a page of a textbook beyond what he understood. And if he couldn't manage it in a few days, he'd start the book again, which number one is intense. But number two, I want to get back to this pipe, pot, and problem because I know like you had some cool stuff that you wanted to share. Yeah, so I hadn't come across that before you sent me the research that you had done. So, and it says that this was part of what they were doing in the old mathematical society of Spitalfields. I didn't know that Spitalfields had a mathematical society. The Spitalfields market exists to this day. It's in London near Liverpool Street Station, and it's a weekend open market with lots of amazing stuff, like a lot of artisans, artists, all sorts of different products that you can find there half the things you would never think you needed but they're really awesome and really an amazing environment to visit that there was a mathematical society there as well that was really amazing i had never knew about i want to come visit for no other reason other than to come i love places like that and they're doing it really really well there for sure So what was happening around the time was there was this math movement that was going on i remember Dodgson, Lewis Carroll, was a staunch follower of Euclid, loved the teachings. And, you know, if you go back and listen to any of those Euclid episodes, everything's based on definitions, that sort of a thing. And what was coming out at this time right now is symbolic algebra. And what's symbolic algebra? Essentially, it's algebra that we teach today that everybody says, oh, no, I don't like X plus Y or X squared plus 7X plus 12 equals 0, right? That sort of a thing. So that's your symbolic algebra. And I think what we forget to appreciate is that if we can manipulate mathematical symbols and not just particular numerical values, we can get to the result much faster because the symbols would behave in the same way and then we can just substitute whatever we need each time and they get us through without having to repeat the whole process over and over again. Yeah, and I think too, you think of symbolic algebra, you think of the algebra that we do today, but that really ramps up and you think about where we use it in personal computers today, things like Maple, Mathematica, MATLAB, all those sorts of things. But as far as Dodgson goes, he preferred structure and logical certainty over meaning and physical applicability. Like it should be what it is. So it's things that we sort of don't really think about today. For example, the equal sign, right? It's always going to be the equal sign. So if A equals B, then B equals A. So a world's physician and mathematician, Robert Record, was the one who invented the equals to symbol. And of course, it's interesting when we say invented, it's a concept. Equality is a concept that existed in maths and outside of maths, but someone had to you create something and two parallel lines, kind of horizontal ones, was his way of showing that this is equal to without having to repeat the whole phrase over and over again. Which 
A lot of the mathematical symbols, like when I first got introduced to them in context of proofs where it was like, you know, therefore with the three dots or there exists that sort of backwards E or for every, right, the upside down A, like I started to use those in everyday life because it is so much more efficient than writing down therefore for every. And so I joke that like as a mathematician, I'm inherently lazy because I would much prefer, but it's more of an efficiency thing because it's faster to write that than it is to write out all the words. But let's talk a little bit about this symbolic algebra versus like what things actually mean. Let's take a look at like the plus sign. If you think about what the plus sign means, right? It could mean something like addition versus subtraction, but virtues as opposed to vices, right? It really depends on the context. The symbol itself isn't significant until we give it meaning. Absolutely. So again, it's something that exists. We need to have the concept of more or the concept of less. We didn't need a symbol to understand that. The symbol, interestingly, is traced back to the 14th, 15th centuries and the Latin word et, spelled E-T. If it's kind of zoomed in in a way, then the connection between E and T is cut out. That's where that plus comes from. Oh, yeah. That cross between the two letters. But even that was not the universally accepted notation for addition. It took a while for people to recognize that as, yes, that means more than the original amount and so on. Yeah. And back in Dodgson's days, algebra certainly used to stand for physical quantities. Like you could say two apples or half a pie. But then someone introduced X as the inverse of division which is multiplication. But if you think about that, right, like you can multiply numbers, but how do you multiply like a line, right? And then also like where do imaginary and negative numbers fit into the real world? Like what Dodgson definitely subscribed to his thinking was that it needed to be what it should be and is not this whole like imaginary, like, you know, what multiplying numbers, that's what it should be, but like not other weird quantities and stuff like that. We see this in the Alice's. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to think that how much resistance there was to accept lots of new ideas and symbols and so on. Like zero took forever because it means nothing. And how can you have negative numbers without zero? You cannot. And then the distance between one and two is one. What is the distance between minus one and one? Well, it's two, so there must be something between them and so on. I am meant to ask you, the ground floor here is zero. So if you go to the first floor, you go to one and the ground floor, it doesn't say zero. It does say zero, but it also says just GF, ground floor. Is it floor one in the US? I think I have a recollection that that's the case. Yeah. So it's either one or else sometimes it'll be like L for lobby or things like that. But yeah, generally speaking, it's one. And the first time I went over to Europe and I saw the zero, I was like, this is nice. I like this (laughs) because this is correct. Start counting from zero. (laughs) And then, of course, you think of like the basement, right? So how do you go below that? And that's normally just B. There's not like a negative one. But again, it makes sense. I love it. It makes logical sense. But the other thing also, compared to what they used to do in Dodgson's day, was they would memorize Euclid's definitions. We know Dodgson was just fangirling Euclid all day long. And he felt that this new algebra would sever the link between algebra and geometry. So he never accepted it. And it's really cool if you go and look at how like 
the geometrical version of some of our algebraic proofs. You know, it's really cool to see the visual part of the algebra. It's really, really cool. And to be honest with you, I think he's not wrong because if you don't go actually study geometry, you miss all those visuals for it. And it's not that the math was wrong again, but his question was solely one of words. What likeness is there in the two operations to justify our calling them by the same name? I am not nearly satisfied yet on the subject, he says. And he didn't think the symbol should be open to interpretation. Example is multiplication. The letter X. That could be multiplication. That could stand for, frankly, anything we want, right? And a really good example of this is the Freudian critics who only see phallic womb symbols because that's the lens through which they're viewing the world, right? It's not based upon a standard definition, but it's now your opinion of what you think things are. Yeah, and based on these things that are considered highly influential and so on, suddenly everyone starts thinking under the same terms and so on. But there are always some criticism on how you can improve on those ideas. And I suppose in that respect, he didn't stand away from the crowd. He did have his reservations. So he was very pioneering in some respects, but not so much in other respects. Yeah. And the Alice books include some of his misgivings about this symbolic, the new math of the time, as it were. He actually went out of his way multiple times in Alice to highlight how nonsensical this algebra could be. And so let's look at some examples. So in a text about trigonometry and double algebra, which you can find like a PDF because it's a super old book online, the author wrote, No word nor sign of arithmetic or algebra has one atom of meaning throughout this chapter, the object of which is symbols and their laws of combination, giving a symbol, symbolic algebra. So later, Lewis Carroll writes in Alice, Alice says, I don't believe there's an atom of meaning in it. It actually happened right at the trial of the knave at the end of the book. And it can't be a coincidence. I don't know if this is his thesis or if he's working up to some sort of Easter egg for mathematicians to find. And I love Ready Player One, so I kind of really like the idea that he's the original Halliday for those of you that have read the book. Not the movie, the book. The book is good. Um, But in any case, to talk about the trig double algebra, the premise of it was that we should use these symbols as the grammar of math. Like if you think about comma splices and stuff like that in English, it's like so great thing to look at and read and think, you know, use it correctly. And that's what he is advocating for with not using the symbolic algebra. And I will say, I read this somewhere, but I can't remember where, so I'm not sure of the validity of it. But the first person to use algebraic symbols generally said that subtraction was a defect and expressions containing it should be avoided at all costs. I'm wondering if some of that wasn't around the negative numbers, imaginary numbers, that sort of a thing. Imaginary numbers, I think, is the best example on resistance to anything new because the word imaginary was intended as an insult. It was intended as like, oh, you're imagining things. This cannot possibly exist. Here's another example in the book, right? Once the craziness begins to occur with Alice's height, she starts to question her own identity. She's going to think her way through this with something she knows to be fact, the logic, which I do myself because that makes me feel good that I'm like, all right, I'm following a logical sequence of steps. So she says, I'll try if I know all the things I used to know. It's kind of like when you hit your head, you know, what's the year, what's your name, that type of a thing. So 
in the beginning, she starts rattling off multiplication to convince herself that she's actually her. So she says, well, four times five equals 12. And I always thought, like, what is she talking about? But that's not the case at all. She's not wrong. Yes. So if we move to a different number base, uh, it means that the digits that we need to use to uh, denote a different value are not the same as in our decimal system. Most people will be familiar with the binary, which is a simple example of you can create all the numbers, all the integers in the world with just the digits one and zero. So for zero and one, they're the same. But then for two, you're going to need a one and a zero. So something that looks like a 10 it's actually two. You don't say 10. You say one zero in binary and it's two and so on and so forth. So four times five equals 20 is correct. In what base? Base 18, I think. I looked it up and or I did the math on it and it was base 18. So you're exactly right. Where we do base 10, you know, we count one through 10. And if you think about 11, we start again, one, 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 two, one, three, one, four. We get up to 20, two, one, two, 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 three, two, four. And so that's base 10. So binary is one, zero, one, one, so on, so forth. And we've seen lots of different bases. You know, another really easy example is base 60. We have 60 seconds in one minute, 60 minutes in one hour, lots and lots of different bases. So in this case, base 18, four times five equals 12, whereas in base 10, four times five equals 20. So in any case, Alice cannot rely on that And it can't help her in Wonderland. And in fact, she's trapped in sort of a reality that cannot be proven to exist objectively. So when she falls down the rabbit hole, she says, there are no mice in the air, I'm afraid, but you might catch a bat. And that's like a mouse, you know. But do cats eat bats? Do bats eat cats? And philosophers see this as sort of a test of equivalence relations. Well, eating isn't a symmetric relation, right? So a symmetric relation is a type of binary relation. An example is the relation is equal to. So if A is equal to B, then we can safely assume or infer that B is also equal to A. And if we want to use like more formal symbols, like I said earlier, for every value, say A and B that belongs to ZX, then whatever relationship A has to be, B will have the same relation to A if their relation is asymmetric. Right. And so here we have eating, right? It's like if cats eat bats, you know, how then would the bat eat the cat? So that is not a symmetric relation. And another example, Hatter says you can draw water out of a water well, so you can draw treacle out of a treacle well. Eh, stupid, he says. And the idea here is that you can draw X thing out of an X well, like X being anything, right? But X really can't just be anything. Water and ink would make sense. You could draw water out of a water well, ink out of an ink well, but not any word could go here. And the joke he's clearly making is that if you do this, you'll end up with nonsense. Yeah. And I was curious when you said the ink well, I don't think I had even heard of the word ink well before, to be honest with you. So it's just the small container that used to hold the ink for writing in the past. But then I looked up a bit, what sort of wells can one have and what can one find in a well? And I was hoping I could find something else aside from water and ink. But then the search resulted into broken chairs and that's not what I meant. And well, actually, it's an amazing suffix that appears in very many different words that have very distinct meanings and meanings that have really nothing to do with another. 
farewell, groundswell, stairwell. So you can pull stairs out of a stairwell. (laughs) 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 Or you can draw stairs out of a stairwell. (laughs) Another example, too, like, is just mean what you say and say what you mean are not the same thing. It's not commutative. If you think about something like multiplication, which is four times five is the same thing as five times four. So, you know, you think about his use of words and things like that. And then we talked about negative numbers and it being sort of this derogatory thing, but wrapped up here was also negative numbers defined as a quantity less than nothing. But Dodgson and others said, you know, who can imagine a quantity less than nothing? At the Mad Tea Party, the March Hare offers Alice more tea. She says, well, she can't take more because she hasn't had anything yet. And Hatter jumps in and says, well, you mean you can't take less? It's very easy to take more than nothing. And so Dodgson and the others who didn't believe in negatives and imaginaries claimed that those numbers were frankly absurd. And he makes it pretty clear through Alice. The Hatter's remark seems to have no sort of meaning, but yet it was certainly English because this was exactly his view on math, on this new math. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to see how much resistance there was because I'm sure the concept of going underground, for example, was something he had. I think the original title of the Alice Adventures in Wonderland had the word underworld or something like that in it. Oh, did it? Now I have to look it up. Yes. So the idea of like digging into the earth and going below, why would that be such a difficult thing to imagine to go a bit lower? Also, I don't know, do you use the the script for directed numbers when you do negative number manipulation? Do not. No? Okay, so it's a very UK thing. But yeah, you can find that as a title in like children's textbooks called directed numbers. And how would that come into play with Lewis Carroll's wordplay and so on? So tell me, like maybe somebody else does it. I haven't had experience with it, but tell me more about directed numbers. Are you saying that like, Either you're going in the positive direction or the negative direction. Is that what you're saying? Yes. The title of a unit that's going to deal with, I don't know, teaching children why minus five minus three is minus eight, for example. Uh, Okay. Okay. Or minus five plus three is minus two. So they call that directed numbers. And you can do that with steps on a number line and so on. Yeah. Which we do the steps on the number line for sure, because it is a very visual way But I kind of like it because it's like you're going in one direction. Another place we see this in Alice is the Mock Turtle and the Griffin. They talk to her about their school in the sea. And Mock Turtle says that, well, they did lessons for 10 hours on the first day, nine the next, and so on. And so he says that's the reason they're called lessons is because they lessen from day to day, which made me crack up because I'm like, oh, could I ascribe to this where I reduce class time over the course of time? And so anyway, Alice asks what happens on the 12th day, essentially pushing zero beyond its limits with the negative numbers. And the mock turtle and the griffin both ignore her. (laughs) But he did ask that question, right? He did ask that question. So maybe he was a bit intrigued by it and thought, hmm. That's true. Because why would he ask the question? That is a very good point. I feel like it's like the Tootsie Roll, the world may never know. (laughs) But that is a very good point, which, again, having them ignore her, it's like maybe he is asking the question like, all right, people, what happened? And there's no answer for it. So he's like, exactly, mic drop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, maybe it is a mic drop. I hadn't thought of it like that. I love our conversations because we both look at something and we think of it different. It's so cool. (laughs) 
I just double checked, and I think it's you who mentioned it to me before. Actually, the original title was Alice's Adventures Underground. Ooh, I kind of like Wonderland better, though. So I'm glad he didn't go with that. No, no, definitely. But I think all the idea of going down the rabbit hole is like if you go up, it's like plus three meters up. Now I'm like out of math completely. Like I'm like if I was thinking going underground, I wouldn't be thinking taking a portal somewhere else. I would be thinking like much like Thumbelina, where she goes and hangs out with Mole in his like cave or whatever and does all those things with all the underground creatures. That's what I would think of. So I'm glad that whoever told him or maybe he came up with it changed the name because Wonderland very much is a better name for that. Oh, definitely. Especially for all the illogical nonsense that he's got. So another one, the red and white queens, they give Alice an examination to make her a queen as well, which I would love to sit for a queen <laughs> test. I, I don't even know what it is, but like, I want to do it. But some of the questions they ask her, can she do addition? So they ask her, what's one and 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 one? So listeners, did you get that? <laughs> do you know the answer? <laughs> She loses count. So they say she can't do it. Then they tell her to take nine from eight. But she says she can't. So again, we have this negative number situation. And I bet Erdish could have done it because he understood negative numbers at four. They also ask her to divide. They want her to divide a loaf by a knife. And the answer is bread and butter. I like exploring that there's not necessarily one right answer. It's kind of like the answer is in the eye of the beholder. For example, and I'm going to ask you this, if you take a dog from a bone, what remains? <laughs> hmm. So that was actually part of the quintest. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Do you know the answer? I don't. I cannot be a queen. <laughs> hey, I couldn't either. And neither could Alice. Alice says nothing because the bone wouldn't remain because you took it. And then she also says the dog wouldn't remain because it would come and bite you. And then you wouldn't remain. So nothing remains. But the queens say that the dog's temper would remain because the dog would lose its temper. And you think about, you know, like Humpty Dumpty talking about math with Alice in order for her to see how many on birthdays she gets. He redefines words and has to rely on other words to explain the definition. And he doesn't get if the words he used to redefine words are all unstable, then it's just futile. It's like, well, what does on birthday mean? And he uses the word on birthday to define it, right? And all of this is true. And in this new symbolic algebra, we know that, surprise, there are a lot of symbols. And the symbols can mean lots of different things, like we discussed. One writer claims that the king and queen of hearts are supposed to represent this idea. And when Alice meets them at the end, we kind of expect that being the rulers, the symbols of order, they will give us some structure and answers about Wonderland. But instead, they're just as ridiculous and nonsensical as everyone else. They're just a pack of meaningless cards, symbols and nothing more. <laughs> it's interesting to contemplate whether he was trying to explore this idea further through the book than just reject it outright. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, that closes our trilogy on Dodgson. Listeners, if you have any favorite nonsense poems or images, you know, send them and we'd love to look at them. Joanna, tell us again where we can find you and Asuka. And again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you, Natalie. As always, it's really fun to chat with you about all the math language intersections. 
Yeah, so my website is ioannagiorgiu.com and I have information there about my two books, Mathematical Adventures and Peculiar Deaths of Famous Mathematicians. I also have some links on upcoming events, so please check them out. My two books were illustrated by Asuka Young. As you said, you're going to have her Instagram on the link on your website. And she's really an amazing illustrator and publisher is Tar Queen, which is my specialist publisher. So as always, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational. Can't get enough of the math and the fun? Visit us on the web at infinitelyirrational.com for the math and research behind the stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email at podcast at infinitelyirrational.com. If you love this episode, subscribe, follow, and share. See you soon for the next one.